Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Last week, we looked at St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, specifically his uh, teaching on love in chapter 13. We learned that love is not a romantic feeling. It's a way of living and costly service to one another. Uh, Love is then to be the driving force behind Christian character formation as we strive to live more and more like Jesus Christ. When we walk in the way of love, as described in chapter 13, then we will not fall prey to division that threatens the unity of the church. If we're all looking out for one another rather than ourselves, when we live our lives in costly, patient service to one another and to our neighbors, then love truly is at root in our hearts, and that love only comes from Jesus. Today we're going to look a little bit at all three of these readings and see what we can learn in regards to encounter and commission. So we start with the reading from the book of Isaiah. We see here a very, very, very famous uh, passage of Scripture, the call narrative to Isaiah. All of the prophets and important people in the Old Testament get some type of call narrative. There's some type of encounter with God calling them to do something. And he's commissioned by God in this text to be a prophet and to deliver messages to Israel that they will not receive. So while in the temple, presumably worshiping, he's taken up into a heavenly vision and he sees the throne of God in all of its majesty and splendor. Seraphim, these massive angels with six wings are flying around and the place is filled with smoke, the glory of God. And I picture Isaiah as almost getting lost amidst all of the heavenly activity around the throne of God. He has this encounter with the beauty and the holiness of God and he is utterly and completely undone. And he cries out, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now this is how probably any of us would act or respond when we're brought into the presence of God this way. We would become acutely aware of our sins, which is why we confess our sins as part of our worship service, because we see God, we encounter God. But to see Him in His majesty, in His glory, is to come undone. Also, no one, Scripture says, can see the face of God and live. So Isaiah is rightfully scared, and he says, I am a sinful man. And the people I live among, they're pretty sinful too. But look what happens. The seraphim cleanses the part of him that he says is unclean, his lips. The angel declares that his sin is blotted out. And then after that, Isaiah hears the voice of God saying, who will go for us? And Isaiah responds to this call, having his sinful lips cleansed by saying, here I am, send me. And God does commissioning him to deliver his word to the people of Israel. Beautiful story in the book of Isaiah. Then in the gospel reading, Jesus, as we talked about last week, he was not received in his home village of Nazareth. And he goes to Capernaum. We remember the story. He, un, he, he, he takes out the scroll of Isaiah and he says, uh, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, fr- to free the captives, sight to the blind, deliver those who are under oppression, like those really, really, really important scriptures. 
And he says, today, that has been fulfilled. <laughs> and they say, you're Joseph's kid. Like, during the children's sermon, you used to sit up up there and you used to goof around. Not you girls, you girls listen. But I'm t- I was talking about Isaac, he goofing around on the floor because he's young enough. I know you. You were in the synagogue. You used to run around and get into trouble. I know your dad. I know your mom. Right? This familiarity, it kind of bred contempt. And they couldn't see what was right in front of them. He was not received. And they try to kill him. They try to kill him. But he walks, he just walks out of their midst of the way. But when he goes to Capernaum, the things that he does there has a different reaction. His reception there is much different. He teaches in the synagogue. He performs the miracles. And after spending some time there, he leaves again and goes into a desolate place. He would often do this to go to a desolate or abandoned place because that's where he could be away from the crowds. And this is where he would spend time in prayer. But he had such an effect on the people of Capernaum that they chase him, (laughs) essentially, right? They chase him. And we see here a wonderful picture of the power of receiving God's word versus those who refuse to hear what God is saying to them. So at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is preaching to the people who were there gathered to listen to him. And because the crowd is big, the fisherman Simon, as well as his partner James and John, they, te- they take Jesus out on a boat so he can, he can teach. You know, teach from the boat. This is kind of to keep the crowd from pressing in on him too much, and maybe also for some natural sound amplification over the water. Now, remember, this is the same crowd that followed him from Capernaum. They wanted him to stay with them, and he's like, "I'm actually called to other places, guys. But thanks so much <laughs> for following me. I've I've got a, a broader ministry than than just being here with you." So, Jesus also we know, had, had healed Simon's mother-in-law while in Capernaum. So Simon knows Jesus is not your ordinary run-of-the-mill itinerant rabbi. He has experienced firsthand the authority of Jesus. He has experienced the power that Jesus has in the healing of his mother-in-law. Once Jesus is done preaching, he says to Simon, Simon, put out your nets. And what does Simon say? We've been at this all night. Our nets are empty. But I guess I'll do it anyway. I mean, you did ask. You know, I'm not really going to catch anything. Whatever. <sighs> kind of a half-hearted. This is how I picture it, right? You, can, you might picture it another way, but this is kind of how I picture it. Like Simon's kind of like a, he's not a half-hearted like teenager, but I just kind of picture him that way. Like, <sighs> she's like, throw, <laughs> throw your net over there into the, into the deep water. But if I do, I have to row all the way out to the deep. And then I gotta throw my net in, and then I gotta take it up again, and I'm not gonna catch anything. Jesus, I'm tired, it's been all night, leave me alone. <sighs> but you said to do it, so I guess I'll do it. Not expecting anything, right? Which is interesting because he's seen the, the, the power that Jesus has. And I, I kind of also imagine him thinking to himself, I'm a fisherman. Like, I know what I'm doing. This is my job. This is my career. I am an expert at this. What does this dude know? He's just a traveling rabbi. What does he know about fishing? He might know stuff about casting out demons and teaching you know, from the scriptures, but I know fishing. <laughs> but at Jesus' word, he's like, I'll do it. So he listens. And he lets down the nets, and we know the story. He catches so many fish that the boat begins to sink, and he needs help, and they have to come over and help bring all of the fish to to shore. 
Simon's response is interesting because he doesn't say, wow, that's awesome. Look at all this fish that I got. He falls to his knees and he says, get away from me. I'm sinful. I am a person of sin. Go away and leave me alone. (laughs) He's not saying this either out of anger, right? He's not saying... He's not upset that what happened. He realized, right? He sees this display of the miraculous power of Christ and it drives him to his knees and say, I don't know how to handle this. I am a sinful person. You need to leave me alone. How does Jesus respond? Okay, bye, Simon. See you another time, maybe. No, he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to teach you how to catch people. And Simon eventually becomes Peter, one of the head's of the church. Now we move to the epistle, and we see St. Paul here in his apostleship in the middle of his commission. We see these other two people being commissioned. Now we see somebody acting out his commission given to him by God, doing what God has tasked him to do. So we know a little bit about the story of St. Paul. We know of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to find the Christians there and imprison them because he sees this movement as dangerous, right? We see him a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts presiding over the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. So walking in the footsteps of the religious leaders in Jerusalem and what they did to stop him, that's kind of what he's doing, right? Because the the religious leaders are kind of after, like trying to stop Jesus, trying to stop the movement. St. Paul's like, I'm going to take this one step further because they got whipped. I'm going to actually start hunting them down and arresting them and throwing them in prison. But of course, that doesn't stop Jesus or his movement. It vindicates Jesus. Jesus is crucified, arises from the dead, proves his messiahship, and God's new kingdom has come. But Paul doesn't believe this yet, right? So while he's on the road, this bright light shines down and blinds him. And this is me taking liberties with the text. Jesus kind of backhands him off his horse or the donkey or whatever, kind of like knocks him off. He's lying on the ground. And then Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus calls him to be an apostle, and, he, and then uh, Paul is struck, Saul is struck, struck blind. He goes into the city. Another person is told to go and pray for him. He prays. He receives his sight. He's healed of his blindness, both literal and spiritual. And Jesus says to, the, to Ananias, the person to send pray for him, he says, go pray for him and heal him, and I'm going to tell him of all of the things he will suffer for me. Suffer for me. So Paul, there's his commissioning, his encounter, right? So when he's writing to the church at Corinth, he's right in the middle of this commission. He's doing the task that Jesus gave him those many years ago on the road. So notice here, St. Paul says, I delivered something to you that he received. He didn't hand over to them something he made up off the top of his head. He delivered to them the gospel, the good news. And the content of this message is this, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he lists all of the people that he appeared to. So he delivered to them that which is most important. Christ died, Christ buried, Christ resurrected according to the scriptures. Now, this is important because he says, you believed this, you stand in it, and if you continue to hold fast, you will be saved. 
And this message is given to him by God, and he faithfully brought it to them who received it and formed their lives around it. And and it will bear fruit in their salvation if they hold fast to what they received. He then gets a little self-deprecating, and he says, I am the least of the apostles. And this is a little ironic because, in point of fact, he's probably the greatest of all of the apostles. But he considers himself the least because of his persecution of the church. But God's grace rescued him and commissioned him, and he in turn works the hardest out of all of them. So what Isaiah and Peter and Paul, what they all have in common in these readings is they all all had an encounter of some type with God. And this encounter so transformed them that they spent their lives in service to God. All three of them highlight their sin. Isaiah is a man with unclean lips. Peter is sinful because he doesn't believe. And Paul is sinful because he persecuted God's church. But in spite of their sin, they recognized it upon their encounter with God. And they are cleansed from it. And they are taught to share the message that God gave them to those that they were sent. This is how they will fish. This is how they will catch people. Isaiah is sent to a people who will not believe him. Can you imagine God saying to you, hey, buddy, go to these people over there, tell them trouble's coming. I'm not happy with them, but they're not going to believe you, but I want you to go anyway. (laughs) That would be a little frustrating, I would think, but that's Isaiah's call, is to go to a people who's not going to believe a thing that they say, a thing that he says. And God's like, that's okay. I still want you to do this. Peter is sent to the people of God. He's, He's sent... To the, to, the, to the Jews. Jesus taught him how to catch people. Peter talks with Jesus. He walks with Jesus. He learns from Jesus. And after Jesus ascends into heaven, who gets up and preaches the first sermon after the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost? Peter does. All that Jesus taught him in spite of his sin, which popped up all over the place too, particularly in, in his denial of Jesus, comes welling out of him, and he is a bold witness to Jesus in Jerusalem. Paul is a persecutor. He took it upon himself, the responsibility to root out the church wherever he could find it. He saw it as a blight against God and against the law. But he is transformed and becomes the apostle sent to the Gentiles to welcome them into the Christian community. God transforms his unworthiness to worthiness through his grace. And Paul, in turn, is trying to help the church at Corinth be transformed by the love of God in this message of the gospel. This means, brothers and sisters, that in spite of our sin, God still has a commission for us as individuals and as a church. What we need to do primarily is both to believe and stand fast in the gospel. We need to hold fast. We need to live our lives as if all of this is true, because it is. This is all true. All of it, right? Like Han Solo says to Ray in the Millennium Falcon when she's like, Luke Skywalker, he's just a legend. Han Solo, no, no. It's true. All of it, right? Everything that we hear from the pulpit about Jesus, who he is, about the apostles, about the saints, this is all true. And we are to live our lives by this. It shapes our life. It guides our life. This isn't just something that we do on a Sunday. This isn't just we come to church, we sing, we give some money in the offering, we hear this guy yell at us about about Bible stuff, and then we say hi to our friends and we go home, and then God has no place in our lives the rest of the week. No, this shapes who we are, who we are becoming as we stand fast in it. 
What we received, what we stand in, has the power to transform us just as Isaiah, Peter, and Paul were transformed. And just as they acknowledge their sin, I ask you today, brothers and sisters, what sin do you think is keeping you from your own commission as a follower of Jesus? There's grace through Christ. There's forgiveness through Christ. There is redemption through Christ. If a man of unclean lips, if a doubting unbeliever and a violent persecutor can find grace, forgiveness, and mission, then brothers and sisters, so can all of us. We have all been recipients of God's grace. Let us walk in that grace. Let us rest in that grace and strive to bring what we have received to those around us. Because as we do that, then we, brothers and sisters, will become catchers or fishers of men, fishers of people. And like David says in the psalm, you know, I acknowledge my sin. It is ever before me. But the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, is when we acknowledge our sin, when we bring it to the cross, we receive forgiveness, redemption, restoration through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And to him be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I ask that you take a few minutes and help us if you could. We've recently begun fundraising efforts for some repairs that our building really, really needs. If you could, go to our Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. You'll see a link to a fundraising page we've set up at GoFundMe, which I'll include in the description of this episode and all episodes moving forward. GoFundMe.com slash SaveZionStoneUCC. If you could help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, please keep us in prayer as we go through this fundraising process. You can also, please, if you have some time, rate us on iTunes. And you can also find this podcast on Spotify as well. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you.